Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowley. In today's episode, I'll be discussing the latest electoral redistributions with William Bowe from the Poll Bludger. Hello, William. Hello, Ben. At least five redistributions are either currently underway or have recently concluded. We have recently seen draft electoral boundaries released for federal electorates in Victoria and Western Australia and for state seats in New South Wales. The state redistribution for South Australia recently concluded, and we are now waiting for draft boundaries for Victorian state electorates. Let's start today with the two federal redistributions currently underway. The redistributions were triggered by a change in the seat entitlement for two states. Victoria has gained a 39th federal seat, while Western Australia has lost their 16th seat. We've only had one election since the last Victorian redistribution, triggered by the state gaining its 38th seat, while Western Australia was last redistributed before the 2016 election when they gained the 16th seat they are now losing. William, what is the top-line impact of these two redistributions? Uh, They're handy for Labor is the the headline because, essentially, because they take a seat out of a weak state for Labor, namely Western Australia, and add one to a strong state for Labor, namely Victoria. And sure enough, they have been drawn in such a way as to create a new seat in Victoria, namely Hawke, which looks pretty solid for Labor, and to abolish Stirling in Western Australia, which was once a marginal seat, but as the pendulum has seemed to permanently swing to the Liberals at federal level in Western Australia, uh, Stirling increasingly looks like a not unlosable but pretty solid Liberal seat. So with that out of the equation, other things being equal, you would expect that on these boundaries that the Liberals would have lost, there'd be one less seat for them in Western Australia. And one more Labor seat in Victoria. Indeed. Which, on the current numbers, ignoring Craig Kelly and just sort of treating him as a Liberal, even though he's now an independent, that brings the coalition down to 76 seats, which is the slimmest possible majority you can have, brings Labor up to 69, means Labor needs seven more seats to win a majority. Um, So that that could make a difference in a close election. Uh, Labor is now one-eighth of the way to achieving the majority they need in terms of change from the last election. So that's then it's not insignificant. Mm. And elections usually are close these days. You know, the only really clear win since 2007 was 2013. Uh, Every election, you know, you had the impression that it was a comfortable win for the coalition at the last federal election, but it wasn't. As you, you know, they just scraped over the line to a majority under any normal circumstances. Everyone would have been talking about how close that result was. But instead, what struck everyone was the fact that the government was returned when people weren't expecting them to be. And um, apart from those two seats that have been abolished or created, uh, no other seats have switched parties. Largely, seats have only had small changes to their margin. Even Cowan in WA, which I was looking at the numbers of it, like there's more voters from Stirling in the new Cowan than there is from the old Cowan. Um, but that seat's margin hasn't changed very much. It looks pretty similar to the old Cowan held by Ian Alley. Um, but most of those seats, there hasn't been a huge change to the margin. Hotham and Bruce, which are both in the southeast of Melbourne, have kind of swapped positions on the pendulum, basically. Uh, one's become a lot safer, one's become a lot more marginal, but overall that kind of balances out. We've seen one seat renamed in addition to Hawke, which was the seat of Karangamite, uh in uh, the southwest of Victoria, has been creeping ever closer to Geelong and becoming more of an urban seat to the point where it's basically a southern Geelong seat now, and uh, it has been renamed Tucker. And that follows on other renamings that happened the last Victorian 
a redistribution. So quite a few seats in Victoria have now been renamed. So overall, what I see when I zoom out a bit for Victoria is there's been a lot of growth in northwestern Melbourne, right? And that, so that's where a lot of the change has happened and that's where the new seat is, but also where the last couple of new seats have been created because you look next to Hawke and you've got Gordon and you've got Fraser, both also named after federal prime ministers who died relatively recently and then had seats named after them. So a lot of that change has happened in the northwest. There's less change in the south and the east of Melbourne. Yeah, there's a lot of growth around sort of Craigieburn, in, which is in McEwen, and that has been reflected in McEwen becoming a safe Labor seat. It they used to be, you know, for a while there it was one of those classic Victorian marginals. I think the, the interesting thing about Victoria is that it, it, it has very few marginal seats and uh, the, the redistribution hasn't done anything to change that. In fact, I suspect it may have made it even less kind of uh, interesting, if that's the right word to use, from a from an election night marginal seat perspective. Yeah, the, the Liberals have had a little bit of a boost in Latrobe. So for a, for as long as I can remember, Latrobe and Deakin have been real hinge election night marginal seats. But at the moment, they've both got Liberal margins of around 5%. Uh, so all of the seats that you that you mentioned that have been created have been in a in both of the growth corridors that we're referring to are really bringing new Labor voters onto the map and new Labor seats onto the map and they're very safe seats and you know once the technicalities of the redistribution are, are over we probably but they won't be discussed very much. Uh, Tucker is. The most sort of marginal seat, you know, the, the prop is going to remain what is now Tucker was formerly Karangamite, the real flush point seat on every election night. I, I think that the name change is pretty much the only thing. Um, I'm not sure if it if it got redrawn that much. It just lost a bit of its outer edge and became thus had a little bit less rural area in it. It's further away from Lake Karangamite and the Karangamite Council area, so. Hence this name. Yeah, the, the fact of the name change might be sort of worth discussing because they, it's, th- th- this is the reason they don't like to have geographic names anymore. They, if they create a new electorate, you know, they will not give it a straightforward geographic name anymore. Uh, Karangabite is named after Lake Karangabite, which is no longer in the electorate. It's in Wannan now. And there are a few electorates around the country where you, they've got this as a sort of legacy issue. Uh, I don't think the Richmond River is in the federal state of Richmond anymore. Well, I was going to say, I, I would tip Richmond as being an interesting, if there's a, you know, part of the effort in Victoria has been people campaigning to name more seats after women, more seats after Indigenous people. And if there's a similar effort in New South Wales at the next redistribution, which should happen after the next election, I think Richmond would be a good target for that. Yeah, I, I think the same issue arises in Moore in Western Australia, which is named after a river which is nowhere near the electorate anymore. I would have assumed Moore was named after a person named Moore. Uh, there, well, there, there is a state electorate up, and it used to sprawl up to the north, so maybe I should check this. But, yeah, it's I, I'm pretty sure that it's got the name Moore for the same reason the state electorate's called Moore, but the state and the federal electorate are no longer anywhere near each other now because Pierce has come along. 
Wikipedia claims that it's named after George Fletcher Moore, but I suspect he also, the river is also named after him. You do get a lot of that. Um, but it does say when the seat was created in 1949, it did include parts of the wheat belt, sort of similar areas to the state seat of Moore. So it has moved a long way. I mean, Werriwa, where I grew up, uh, is named after the indigenous. I mean, it's it's a bit more obscure because it's not a, a geographic name that's used in popular parlance, but Werriwa, uh, which covers kind of Campbelltown, Liverpool in southwest Sydney, is named after the indigenous word for Lake George, which is near the Canberra region and was originally a large rural seat and kind of slowly migrated to Wollongong and then went up through Wollongong and the Shire and kind of came back down into Campbelltown. And so it's had a long journey. Most of that happened in the first half century of Federation. Uh, it hasn't changed that much since Gough Whitlam won it in the 50s. But um, there's a lot of those. I mean, Parramatta, where, where I live now, um, they have had issues in the past where the natural trend would probably have been to push the seat it would still have covered parts of Parramatta Council but in such a way that it would no longer cover the Parramatta CBD and they've had to um, do particular maneuvers with the boundaries to make sure that doesn't happen which if their name was some other named after some other random person they probably wouldn't have bothered with so that's it is an interesting thing to see what what's happening and it's clearly been an effort to specifically diversify the kinds of people who get seats named after them, which is interesting because at the same time we see as well that the AEC's first priority is to name seats after federal prime ministers when they die, which, you know, up until now all been white, only one's been a woman. So that sort of has a anti-diversity bias that you kind of then have to, um, in terms of naming other seats after other people, you kind of have to go down the other path to balance it out really. Anyway, let's. It's enough about seat names. They're interesting, but they don't really have a have a have an impact. Um, WA. So WA went from sixteen to fifteen. That's a more dramatic change than thirty eight to thirty nine. I already mentioned Cowan and Sterling basically merged. Uh, Pierce became a lot more urban. Any thoughts about um, what happened in WA? Yeah, um, I was surprised that it was Sterling that was abolished, but not that. I think Pierce was a kind of no-brainer with what they had to do with that. Pierce had a lot of suburban periphery, plus it had the Avon Valley, which is very different from what the previous electorate had been. We're talking country towns in the Avon Valley. And it it was a really anonymous cobbling together of two non-communities of interest. And it was very clear that the solution to that was to transfer the Avon Valley to Jurak to make it that the uh, PS became a completely urban fringe electorate and the numbers that needed to be, you know, moved around um, made that the obvious thing to do. So Pierce has become, I think, a little bit less comfortable for the Liberal Party. Um, not that much in it, though. Um, and that was the one that everyone was waiting with bated breath on. There was a sort of all of the Christian Porter's recent difficulties emerged in the weeks before the uh, redistribution was announced. So it kind of added a little bit of media interest that wouldn't have otherwise been there. Will Christian Porter, on top of everything else, have his seat pulled out from underneath him? That hasn't happened. The seat that has gone is Sterling. You were talking about Werrow being the seat that you grew up in. Sterling is the seat that I grew up in. 
And uh, it's uh, a rude shock to see that where the particular part of the world that I grew up in is now in Curtin. Well, assuming they don't rechange things too much in the in the final determination. So uh, essentially, you know, Stirling got gobbled up by Moore in the northern part and uh, Curtin in the southern part. And the most interestingly, from a marginal seat perspective, are the knock-on effects for Cowan, as you mentioned. Cowan is the one really marginal seat in the northern suburbs of Perth where all this is happening. And uh, I think you've summarised that quite well. Cowan has changed a lot in terms of its geography and its voter composition, but it hasn't changed that much in terms of its margin. It's a case of swings and roundabouts. It's sort of lost a pretty strong area for Labor and gained a pretty strong area for Labor. It's uh, moved south. Pierce has taken a chunk of its outer suburban area in the north and it's become not not quite an inner city electorate but more inner urban than outer urban uh, without without changing margins too much. Beyond that, uh, the the changes are pretty modest. That's where the, you know, the the locus of the redistribution is the fact that Sterling has, has been abolished. Pierce has been drawn into the marginal, into the metropolitan area. Uh, in, in the southern suburbs and the eastern suburbs, things haven't changed that much. I was actually thinking they were going to um, reverse what they did when they created Bird in 2016 and that the abolition would occur in the sort of southeastern suburbs. Last in, first out. Yeah, but I guess the issue there is that the southeastern suburbs have experienced a lot of growth. Yeah, you know, Bert has, um, it was probably over quota going into the redistribution because, you know, there's some real strong growth areas there and uh, that that probably would have made it harder to abolish, whereas Sterling and Moore have have been, you know, they used to be the, the growth mortgage belt, but that's moved past them now. And they are pretty stagnant in terms of population. And, uh, you know, I think that was where they started. You know, let's knock off a seat which isn't going to be a growth seat so we can be less radical in our changes in future redistributions. Not to spend more time on names, but uh, Sterling, in terms of the AEC's preferences about who gets electorates named after them, there's a bunch of seats named after kind of 19th century Englishman, basically, like, um, and Sir James Sterling was the founding governor of Western Australia. Uh, you know, very different, posi- like, uh, the founding governor of Western Australia, uh, much earlier figure, and uh, you know, Cowan is named after Edith Cowan, one of the first women in, um, I believe, in state parliament, um, and so that fits with their trend of choosing seats named after like more women, more people who have lived more recently, have more of a connection to this country rather than kind of founding figures. And I think we might see that trend continue a bit more. We've seen some of that in Victoria as well. Uh, We saw it in Tasmania where Denison was also named after kind of an early governor and has been replaced with Clark, who was a early 20th century um, Tasmanian politician who was influential in federation and the voting system and all that kind of stuff. Again, AEC showing a preference about cultural change and what we value and, you know, modernising the seats, um, the seat names and what they represent about memorialising people. So I'm surprised no one on Sky News sort of saw the abolitionist sterling as a bit of, as a cancel culture 
politically correct exercise to, you know, deny the role of our founding fathers. The the partisan impact of it has, uh, you know, we, we haven't seen seats go from one party column to the other. It's it's just, you know, a straightforward fact of a, of a, of a Liberal seat got abolished and a Labor seat got created. Quite often what's interesting that emerges out of redistributions is that they sort of change the contours of pre-selection turf wars. And I don't really think there's much scope for that to happen this time. You know, it, it, if they'd abolished pairs, then what we would have seen happen was that Christian Porter would have taken on Ian Goodenough in more. But, um, okay, okay, so something analogous to that is going to happen. Vince Connolly, the, black, the Liberal member for Stirling, who is a, is a newcomer, where's he going to go now? Uh, I, I imagine that he's going to take on Ian Goodenough in more. I think there's a feeling that Ian Goodenough has, uh, you know, not really been uh, much of a star in his party career, p- political career. And uh, there, there, there was long a feeling that he should make way for Christian Porter even before talk of Port Pierce being abolished came onto the onto the stage because Pierce is a marginal seat, more as a safe Liberal seat, and I think a lot of people in the Liberal Party, at least before Christian Porter's difficulties emerged, were we've got this the wrong way around. We've got our rising star in a marginal seat, and we've got a seat warmer in the safe seat. Okay, so let's talk about the recent state redistributions. The, let's start with New South Wales. The draft state electorates for New South Wales were actually released in November last year, so it's been a little while. Um, the main thing was, so the seat name Lakemba was abolished. I would argue that it was more like the seat of Bankstown next door was abolished and the name was transferred um, to the seat of Lakemba, but you could say Bankstown and Lakemba were merged. And then in outer suburban Sydney, the seat of Leppington was created in southwestern Sydney. There's astronomical growth going on in the kind of Northern Camden Council, Western Liverpool Council area, which I'm going to blog about at some point later this year about the impact that's had on Camden Council, where the wards have grown at tremendously different rates. So um, New South Wales, overall, one of the seat, both the seat that's been abolished and the seat that's been created are Labor seats. Any thoughts about New South Wales? Only, you know, Beyond the fact that the, the 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 new seat is essentially a labour seat, where the big surgery has been done is in mostly a safe labour area. So uh, it's I guess you know you've abolished one labour seat and created another one. So it seems reasonably neutral to me in a from a party perspective. Uh, Heathcote has been has become notionally Labor, I think, whereas formerly it was was it's currently a Liberal seat. Heathcote gets bashed north and south over various redistributions, and when it's bashed south, it goes into the Illawarra and becomes stronger for Labor, and that's what's happened on this occasion. Yeah, it's mostly now a Wollongong seat with just a little bit of the Sutherland Shire. There's various uh, borders in Sydney, particular. It's more of an issue in Sydney. It's an issue everywhere, but where uh, seats get pushed through particular areas to, you know, if there's not an exact number of quotas of population within Sydney, you've got to have an overflow. And Heathcote, along with Campbelltown, the other seats in the MacArthur area, tend to be the places where that overflow happens because it's the the easiest place to bridge. Although you do look at a seat like Heathcote and there's 
a big gap in the middle of the electorate where no one lives. So um, it's not a perfect, perfectly drawn seat, but it's kind of a necessity. And yeah, I'd actually forgotten that that seat had flipped to Labor, um, but that is an extra boost for Labor coming into the next election. Yep. So I think on balance, Labor are probably a little bit happier than Liberal about the, the redistribution. Now, let's briefly touch on South Australia. The redistribution in South Australia is finalised. We're going to have an election in 11 months um, in March 2022. Uh, this was the first redistribution since the abolition of the Fairness Clause, which we've discussed a number of times on previous podcasts. Go back and look for the one with Peter Brent and Stuart Jackson, and we discussed it with Michael Maley not that long ago. Probably the most interesting element here is there, there's a number of these towns to the north of Adelaide along the coast, Port Augusta, Port Pirie, Wyala, um, Port Lincoln, and they have uh, in the past all been able to support one electorate on their own with the rural hinterland around them. But it's become such a small proportion of the state that was no longer possible. And effectively, Port Augusta has been split between two different electorates. And it's created some pretty dramatic changes to some of those other seats, Frome and Stewart. I think Frome, only like 37% of the new seat's population was already in the electorate. So big changes to those northern electorates. One of those is currently held by an independent. So that will be in play too. I probably was overly focused on Adelaide in a lot of my analysis. Uh, I hadn't noticed that Frome had changed quite that dramatically. That's bad news for Jeff Brock, who is the independent member there. You know, he's uh, very much associated with Port Pirie. So the town of Port Pirie is all intact. It's just the whole town has been moved to Stuart. So effectively, I, I think I treated it as that he's effectively now in Stuart now. Okay, right. All right. Well, I need to wrap my head around that one. But, but I guess that means he's going to contest Stuart now, assuming he, he wants to continue in politics. He's been around for a while now. But it's gone from being a Port Pirie-based town to Port Pirie and half of Port Augusta. Right. Yes. So, you know, that that's really challenging for an independent. You know, you, you're you're all about, you know, having built up a personal connection with your constituents when a redistribution whisks half of them away from you. Uh, it's very tough to retain his seat. No, I don't think he wins the seat on huge margins. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but I, I think he's got a reasonably comfortable hold on it. But uh, I imagine that, um, you know, who, who would win the seat in his absence? Frome had traditionally been a Liberal seat. But uh, you know, these were once, the, the, that iron triangle, you know, was once was once Labor territory. You know, it's industrial, but it's you know undergone a long decline. Like if you look at the federal electorate of Grey, it used to be a safe Labor seat. Now it's a safe Liberal seat, and that tells you a story about the the decline of that Iron Triangle area, and uh, probably the fact that what uh, voters it retains are less rusted on, so to speak, to Labor than they used to be. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, to be honest, I didn't I didn't examine that as closely as maybe I ought to have because I, I was sort of fixated on Adelaide because, you know, uh, elections are very much won and lost in South Australia in Adelaide. Oh, absolutely. So what's the story in Adelaide? Not that dramatic because the dramatic changes got made last time. Uh, to give you a pricey, they didn't make too many changes in 2014 
when they probably should have. <laughs> so Labor won in 2014 from a, a very substantial minority of the two-party vote. So uh, there was a huge clamour to redraw the boundaries in a matter favourable to Liberal, which was duly done at the 2008 head election. And at the 2018 election, the Liberal Party won mostly because of the redistribution. They did not won because there had been a swing in their favour. It was pretty much a status quo result in 2018. The difference was that the boundaries had been made deliberately more favourable to the Liberal Party. And uh, that meant that there was a, the redistribution was very substantial in its effects in 2018 in Adelaide in those decisive marginal seats. This time, they haven't had to reinvent the wheel. As you say, there, there were substantial changes in the country and on the urban periphery. I think they were going to have a few substantial changes and then uh, change their mind about them in the, in the draft and in, in the final report. But uh, they've been population driven. You know, you've got the uh, classic situation that as time goes by, Adelaide becomes more and more dominant of the South Australian population. And this means that they keep having to, to rethink how they are drawing the non-metropolitan boundaries. Uh, on this occasion, uh, Adelaide hasn't changed that much. Um, I'm not sure if any seats changed from one column to the other. Um, I know that they didn't. So a couple of uh, the marginal Liberal seats were made even more marginal. So I think maybe it's slightly favourable to, to Labor, all told. It depends on how the, the, the wind blows at the next South Australian election, whether we're going to see a sort of COVID-driven uh, swing in favour of the government like we saw in Western Australia. I think the view is that that isn't happening and that the government's actually struggling a little bit. So uh, I think we could be heading for another fairly close election in South Australia and uh, as a result these changes could be highly consequential in uh, the seat of Adelaide and the seat of Elder, which are both, uh, you know, inner urban electorates that are very marginal and uh, which, are, which are must-wins for Labor and which have been made just that little bit easier for them now. Finally, let's talk about Victoria. So we're waiting now for a state redistribution in Victoria. So draft will come out soon. The final version will come out probably towards the end of the year and then the elections at the end of next year. Um, I've done a blog post about that, which we'll link to in the notes. Um, basically, the whole eastern and southern sections of Melbourne are all each under quota significantly. Uh, whereas mostly the outer southeast and the northern and western suburbs tend to be over quota to such an extent that um, the eastern metro region is uh, like it's meant to have 11 electorates in it, uh, but it's only got 9.8 quotas worth of people. Um, so I think we will see some um, seats abolished in the east and the, and the south and move to the north and the west. Um, and uh, that will probably mean the eastern metro region, which which now has two seats north of the river, will continue adding more seats north of the river and become less of a south of the river region and more kind of a transitional region. Um, Victoria has this sort of geographic dividing line that you have the Yarra River and then the Great De and then the Mountain Range. That means that you generally have a north and a west and a south and an east, and they try to avoid electorates jumping between them. But east metro at this point is losing its south of the river identities gradually over time. I've given that no thought at all, uh, but um, I'd make the point that, that 
redistributions are infrequent in Victoria and therefore they're highly dramatic and Victoria having experienced a great deal of growth. You know, it's been the, the kind of boom state in population terms for, you know, the last 10 to 20 years. Uh, by the time they get a redistribution, you know, you've got quotas all over the place, you know, over, you know, it's going to be a, a hugely significant redistribution. Compare and contrast, Western Australia and South Australia have a redistribution between each election. And uh, as, as a result, they're, they're fairly modest affairs. But uh, yes, when the time comes around, there'll be a lot to discuss in Victoria. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, William, for joining me. Thank you, Ben. You can find analysis of all of these redistributions at the Tally Room website. And I'm sure when the time comes at Poll Budget too. Uh, you can also find analysis of the upcoming Tasmanian state election to be held this Saturday. I'll be live blogging the results on Saturday night. Uh, William, what are your plans for the night? Uh, I will be um, making sure that my live results facility works. I would like the opportunity to plug that. Uh, you will be live. Uh, results on my site updated by the minute as they come through with my uh, uh, swing calculations and uh, projections of what the final result will be. Basically, you know, the same sorts of things that, that Anthony Green does in terms of uh, projecting the result. But uh, I like to think that my results displays are the best, uh, the most kind of wonk friendly. I would say they are. As someone who used to try and do a bit of live stuff myself, not even for the public to view, but just so that I could see it myself, you know, the ABC website is great for people browsing, but if you if you want to go in and you need to grab a bunch of electorates and do analysis, there's often stuff on your website, William, that I can't find anywhere else. And it's often saved me hours of scraping data late on a Saturday night or early in the Sunday morning to be able to put something out quickly. So um, people should check it out. They can We can have both people's websites open at the same time. The, the booth results are very neatly laid out on my site and, as I'm sure Ben has appreciated on one or two occasions, they are easy to cut and paste. <laughs> very handy. Uh, so you can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. Information at this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Chris DeBro for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.